Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to episode 22 of the Women's Running Podcast. I've recently changed the way we number our podcasts as I was confusing myself, so apologies if this sounds like a weird number. It all makes sense if you check them out on your podcast app, I promise. And from now on, I'm going to be numerically linear. So there. I'm Esther Newman, editor of Women's Running, and in this episode, I speak to relentlessly positive ultra runner Holly Rush. Holly is the co-host of the Marathon Talk podcast with lovely Martin Yelling. She's the ASICS frontrunner manager, an ASICS studio coach and an online coach and mentor. As an ex-GB runner, she has represented Britain at the European Championships and the Commonwealth Games. I talked to her here about how she discovered her talent for running and her training for the GB distances. We also talk about her relationship with food, which has been tricky in the past, leading to her period stopping and discovering she had osteoporosis, along with suffering from a ton of stress fractures. But in the realisation of this, alongside a move from marathon to ultra distances, came a much happier relationship with food and a far happier and healthier outlook. She talks about her love of the ultra distance and the races she holds close to her heart and her love generally of trail running. She's got loads of tips for aspiring trail runners here and tells us what her desert island race would be. This episode is sponsored by ASICS. It's so important to make sure you're running in the right type of shoe to avoid the risk of injury and to improve performance. But apparently 81% of runners are running in the wrong type of shoe. Don't be part of that 81%. Just head over to an ASICS store or visit their online shoe finder at asics.tv forward slash shoes and speak to an expert who'll be able to analyse your foot and stride, which is a service they offer completely free of charge and they will help you find the right shoe for you. Just go to asics.tv forward slash shoes to find out all about Europe's number one running brand. 
<laughs> um, so um, I started researching you because, you know, obviously I have to, and um, hadn't realised that you've been a cover star. Yes, me and the dog, I think. Uh, my dear Mole, um, he was in the he was in the magazine as well, I think. Um, yeah, it was a while back, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. It was uh, nice, yeah, a photo shoot where they sort of dressed me up a bit like a doll, which I didn't really like. I wasn't, I had makeup and everything. That's not really my thing, but yeah. <laughs> we don't <laughs> never do that. Again. We no, don't never do again. Exactly. I'm more sort of rough around the edges, but uh, yeah, that was good. Uh, a good day of uh, shooting and um, yeah, it was a good day. Oh, cool. Um, and I think we, we live quite close to each other actually, because I'm based in Bath. Whereabouts are you? I'm actually in Froome now. I was in Bradford and Avon, but I've lived in Froome for just over a year and I love it here. So yeah, I'm, I'm not, not surprised. Froome is gorgeous. It is. It's a really cool place. It's like, um, I don't know, like I think more and more people are learning about Froome because it's like independent Froome. So we have our own independent council. So basically we can sort of do what we want to a certain extent. And it's all very much about, um, you know, uh, we recycle everything we have free parking um it's there's just lots of really cool things you know like shops don't open on a monday even though that's quite weird to get used to but it's just like a little bit old-fashioned and i like it and uh, have you always lived in the west country um no well i was born in hereford uh, but i was only there for a few years my father was a gamekeeper so we moved around quite a bit and then we moved to wells just outside um well in the mendips i lived actually in the mendips just outside wells and i was brought up there on a you know, you know, now and I think back on it, actually just a beautiful, like it was part of the job. You know, we lived in a farm in the middle of nowhere and I was free to roam and we never locked our front door. Um, and that's where my sort of love of animals and just being outside came from. And so I, um, yeah, I was brought up there and then my parents split up and um, we moved to just down the road into Wales, but sort of into a town. So it was a bit of a culture shock for me, but I was back at the farm every day. I had to do the, look after the animals and stuff. And so I was there and then I went to, I moved to London and then I went to university in London because I was really working there. And I lived in London for quite a few years, maybe six or seven years. And then I came, uh, then I got a job in Oxford. I had moved around a bit, not massively. I got a job in Oxford. And then after that, I came back to Bath and worked in Bath. And I've been here ever since, really. So were you, um, when you were growing up, were you quite sporty as a kid? Not remotely. I didn't do, no. I, I hated, I hated like team sports. Uh, the only thing I did do is I loved rugby. I played women's rugby. Um, I think it was more because it was just a bit more, you know, more rough and you know I didn't really like the girlies but I hate netball and stuff like that I mean I was the sort of one that did cross country we had to do cross country I would run with a couple of mates and we'd hide somewhere (laughs) it was in the days you know when you did cross country where the the cross country the PE teachers would send you off out of the school to do a route and then no one would be with you and then you'd come back and you'd be like oh yeah that was really hard but you'd actually just been around the corner at a shed having a cigarette or something (laughs) so so I did, I did that, but again, like I just wasn't interested, but my love was horses because of the farm. I just got into riding from a really early age and that's basically what I love doing. So, you know, you could say it's physical, but you sat on a horse, but, um, <laughs> but I did, it was all the stuff around it, you know, like looking after the animals, you know, getting up, mucking out. I was the one that sat in school assembly that stank of horse poo because my shoes had horse poo on the bottom of them. Oh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was that one. You were like, "Ooh, what's that?" I'm like, "Oh, that's me." Um, and um, and so, um, and at the weekends, it was stuff like uh, like the looking after the pheasants, helping dad feeding. You know, different times of the year meant different 
jobs you know so um and then the winter it'd be shoots at the weekends I'd be beating and stuff so I was really really active I was never I mean it was one of my things that my mum I got from my mum you know if you were caught sitting down in the day especially that was like a bad thing like have you not got something you should be doing so I always got this sort of thing where you have to be doing stuff you have to be busy but I never did any sort of structured sport I would say but you found running eventually. So how did you do that? And quite early as well. Um, well, I say early. Well, I, well I suppose so. I mean, I, I didn't start running until I was, I don't know, 18 or 19. Um, and that was purely because I was in London and um, I had a friend who was doing London Marathon. And I'd watched London Marathon. I used to watch it um, with absolutely no intention of doing anything like that or, uh, you know, idea of what it was about and then I went to watch London Marathon which I think is quite different if you actually see it mm. and um it was it was a I can't remember what year it was I've got a feeling it was 96 anyway it was a really baking hot year and um I was standing on the side I've said this many times but I did have a pint of Stella and a burger and with my friends and I was just like I saw all these people running past and you see I'd always had this image that especially on television, you see all the real fast runners and you think, well, you have to be really fit and fast and it's, you know, impossible to run the marathon. How can you do that? Mm-hmm. And then when you actually watch it live and you see people sort of, in the, the real people doing it, who are dressed as, you know, elephants and stuff and centipedes or, you know, old, young, fat, thin, you know, all sorts. And I just thought, and then I saw my friend do it and then he went past and I was hating every minute of it. And I thought, do you know what? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this next year. And everyone was like, yeah, whatever. And then I got a, play, a charity place and I did do it. I mean, that had so many issues with it, just getting a charity place, having to make the money. You know, it was back in the days, you know, you had a sponsorship form, a piece of paper, and you'd take it around and oh, get yeah. people to sponsor you. And of course, you'd never see them again. So you'd mm-hmm. have to just pay the money yourself. So, <laughs> I mean, I used to take it to student parties and get people to, you know, sponsor me. And I didn't even know who they were. Um, and so anyway, I did it and I actually, I loved it, but it rained the whole time. It wasn't like the year before I got the worst chafing I've ever had because what I didn't was the really... training beforehand. Like, did had you, do you think you trained well enough for it? Um, well, not really, because I know what the training is needed now, but the long, mm. I did bath half marathon. That was the, I did a 5k in like a charity 5k in Battersea Park. Then I did a bath half marathon which I really loved actually. But that was the longest run I'd done. I did like a warm up as well for that, I think. But I know I'd ran about 14 miles. That's the furthest I'd ran before the marathon, which obviously is not really very good. Um, but if I'm honest, I can't even remember what I did. I know it wouldn't have been very much at all. Most of my weekends involved drinking, so I can't <laughs> imagine it was you know anything high powered. But I know that that was the longest run I did. So I did do those two little races, did London Marathon, got yeah horribly wet, horribly chafed, but I finished it. And I there's a picture of me finishing, and I'm like really over the moon. Mm. And my grandparents were there, and my parents were there, and my boyfriend at the time was there, and I was like, yeah, I just really loved it. But I, 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 I carried on running after that, and that's when I, I did too much that year after. And um, I actually broke my foot um, oh. the following year, like the build up into the marathon. And that's when I just things just didn't go well for me. And I just be, I'd gone into sport as my job. So actually after going to university, I did geography at university. But mm. all the time when I was at um, university, I started, I got my gym training uh, qualifications and I started working part time as a gym to help pay my rent in, in London. Um, and that's when I got into 
you know, just exercise and stuff. And then I started doing my class qualifications. And then it wasn't till after that that I went on to do all my personal training qualifications and sports therapy. But while I was there, I I just got into doing all sorts of stuff, you know, like teaching classes and but running on the treadmill and stuff. And I just had no idea what I was doing. And um, and then that was it. My 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 job sort of took over. So I didn't really. I just kept on ticking over and it wasn't until my late, late, mid to late twenties that I made a distinct move up. A move up to what? Well, when I, I basically, I got a, I let, when I, I left London and I got a job in Oxford and I was actually managing a quite a big health club there. And, um, and I was, I was running again and I was still running. I would, I'd go and do marathons. I mean, I went, so I went from my first marathon was like 357 and then the following year, I ran something like 3.16, which was wow. not long, and basically with a partially broken foot, which is really stupid. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I would just basically run. I would go and run marathons as, as and when, but they would be around about the same time. I'd always run between 3.12 and 3.15 or something. So I always got a championship entry, which was great into London. And then when I went to... Um, I'd worked in Oxford, then I got offered another a job back home, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to come back here. And I got a job managing a private health club in Bath and uh, Coombe Grove Manor, you probably might know about mm. it. Uh, so I got a job there, came back and um, and it was just, I guess I was able to run n- new places. I joined Bath AC at the time, it was called Team Bath. Uh, but just as a club, I never really trained with them. And it was... I went and ran London. I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2004. I went around London. I ran 3.06. And, um, and I remember that on, in the, we get a, uh, in the club, you've got a newsletter every week called the Bath Plug, which is a great name. <laughs> and um, there was a picture of me in there wearing my team Bath vest. And it said, who is this? <laughs> because they didn't know who I was. And I'd done quite well in the club. Um, and then it wasn't until after, and then I did that. And then I thought I better, I'm going to go and do Berlin marathon. And I really want to see if I can get under three hours. So I thought I better start. But this time I'd not done any, I don't no, no speed work. I'd just been running. Yeah. And, um, and so I printed off the runner's world, um, training plan. I followed that reasonably close to it, but my work was really, you know, I worked shift work. So sometimes I'd be on a treadmill at 5am trying to do a run because I knew I wasn't going to finish work till late. So it was very up and down, but I went to Berlin and Berlin is a PB course. I mean, it's so flat and straight and I ran 2.59 and so I was over the moon. You know, I was yeah. just like, I remember crying thinking, well, that's it. I've done it. This is what I wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then after that, it wasn't till, actually, let me go back a bit. Sorry. Before <laughs> I did Berlin, I did the 3.06 and it was someone at the at Coombe Grove who said, who worked at the uni she said you probably ought to go and maybe see about getting a coach or someone to help you so that's mm. when I went and met someone at the university who was the coach there I spoke to them they said yeah we'll, well I'll start coaching it's not a problem but we'll do it You're, it was just before I went to Berlin let's start in January for London so I went to Berlin on my own did that time mm-hmm. and then it wasn't till I came back in January started training with him so I trained from it wasn't it was actually mid-January because I got quite sick over Christmas with salmonella and so I went from middle of January and then I went to London in August, in the April and I ran 2.48. So it was a really big wow. jump. Yeah. Uh, well, 10 minutes, 11 minutes mm-hmm. um, to run 2.48. And that's when I was like, oh, okay. And I remember how I felt as well because I was like high-fiving people at the end and 
you shouldn't really be doing that if you're running that hard. Um, but I remember feeling, in fact, it was like one of my best, I think I interviewed someone from Marathon the other day, I think it was Naomi Mitchell and she said the same, can't remember, but in hindsight, like that was one of my best marathons because it felt so good running 248 and it was a big breakthrough run and I just remember feeling over the moon, you know, yeah. something you probably, I'm not going to get again. Um, and so that was a great race. And then from then on, that's when I started properly, properly training, you know, like doing, I did speed work obviously to get 248, but I'd never really ran on a track properly before. And I didn't, you know, I hadn't done drills and strides and, you know, proper, you know, training where it was set out for me. It was before it was just, like, I'll go to the club on a Tuesday, but I didn't really know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was the turning point. Yeah. Um, in London when I ran 248 and then that's when I went on to get a GB best like we had luckily then we had like there was a lot of um sort of GB friendly competitions there was the um some races called standard chartered um events where you know there was four races all over the world and you could send GB athletes to there used to be a lot of England best you could get in GB best and it's great it's a real step up to going to you know like big um world events or you know commonwealth games stuff like that it's a good step up to do so that that i was really lucky to do that at that time of the year there were some really good good girls around that time there was lots of us running around that time and then so i went on from there to like every six months i would do a marathon and i'd knock off two minutes at a time two minutes at a time so i mean how did you manage that training along with working um it was difficult actually i yeah, it was really difficult. And that's why in the end, I stopped, I stopped working at the, at the health club because actually it was the worst job I could be doing. Because the other thing as well, I was teaching classes as well. <laughs> so that was hard. I taught classes, I managed the club and, and, you know, I had to be on the shop floor, you know, so I was on my feet all day, um, pool testing, closing pools, stuff like that. I mean, I remember there's one morning opening the pool outside and I stupidly took a shortcut and slipped on a rock and fell and broke one of my ribs and stuff like that. I just thought, oh my God, this is not going to help what I'm doing mm-hmm. and um and that's when I decided to stop working and go and work I worked in the running shop in Bath but actually in <laughs> hindsight that was even worse because I was on my feet all day walking up and down stairs and you know <laughs> just doing loads of stuff and I was lucky in the end to actually get a private response someone sponsored me um a really nice uh business uh, they sponsored me and I was able to go full-time for about a year but actually I hated it it's just it's very different going full-time to working maybe part-time. There's a difference between working ridiculous hours and trying to train mm. as opposed to not working at all. And not working at all, I think it was the way I'd been brought up. I hated sort of sitting around, you know, waiting for the next training session. I think that's the thing as well with a lot of people that maybe want to go part-time or full-time, you know, uh, training. It's the mistake a lot of athletes make is they just do more. And actually it's not sometimes about doing more. It's actually about using that time to do the recovery to do the rehab maybe do more strength work you know that's the important stuff and so I would probably have I trained more and I just I also just I felt bored because I was just thinking about training and you know there's only so much like daytime tv you can watch I just didn't like I actually felt like quite depressed mm. yes I can understand and, and um I've been listening to a couple of interviews that you've done before where you've you've talked um, very honestly about an eating disorder that you had at some point uh, was that earlier to the was it prior to this training yeah it's, it seems really weird to me I feel funny sometimes talking about now because I just I'm the eat constantly now but I was t- very bad at being having I'd I'd say I was restricted well it was an eating disorder but I, I massively res- after that 
the my, when I first started running the, the thing is when I first started running I was a healthy in mind and in body I had absolutely no concerns about the way I looked I had boobs I wore short skirts with tights and boots to work you know I was like that I felt I was a bit like Bridget Jones actually I think and then you know I was really I was confident and then something happened it was really weird I started training without realizing it I started to lose quite a lot of weight and then something switched in my mind where I thought I looked better and also Mm -hmm. I started running better I started running quicker. I realised that I didn't look like any other people who ran when I sort of started running. Well, any girls that were running around 3.15, which I was, you know, I felt like I was quite soft, you know? And yeah. then um, I started losing weight rapidly. That was the thing. And um, and I went, I probably lost about a stone within that year, which is quite a lot when you're not massive anyway. Mm. And then um, And then that's when my period stopped. Um, and for me at the time, like there's a lot more information about reds. It was the female athlete tried then. Mm. A lot, I, I thought that that was a great thing. Oh, I don't have to worry about that. It's really good. And, um, and the more weight I lost, it became like a control thing to the point that I was down to, I don't know what weight I was, probably about seven stone, which is really light. Um, and well, way too light. And I, yeah, I, I lost my periods. I um, started getting fractures, got that first break. Then I just had injuries after injuries. And um, yeah, it was just a, a really bad time, really. I just couldn't cope with everything. It was when I was at university. So uh, it was the last year of university. It took me four years to do my degree purely because of it. I had to take a year out because I'd broken, I'd, I'd broken my foot so badly I couldn't even get to into university. And um, I was just exhausted all the time because I just didn't eat properly and I was trying to train. It was a really bad time, really. And also just everything. It was like a rolling stone. Everything got on top of me. I had I broke up with my long-term boyfriend who I'd lived with. I was useless with money. You know, I didn't have any money. You know, when you, know, when you get back to the point where you're just using your, your checkbook. And no one probably knows what a checkbook is, but you're using checkbook to buy things and then they were being declined. And it was just like... It was really bad. And I was in London, which is the worst place to be, I think, when you, you're like that. And, um, yeah, and, it, and, it, and eventually I went to my GP and they were like, oh, well, we were expecting to see you because, you, you know, you didn't look good. But it wasn't till I actually went to see um, through my mum. My mum was a medical secretary and she worked at the university, um, at the, the sports centre there, which was had a, a fantastic sports doctor there and who um, said she talked to him about it and he said she needs I'd already had I think two stress fractures by then no periods quite a lot of weight loss and um and he said he got me to come in and he said you know anyone that represents with these signs you know you're you're a classic female athlete triad reds um let's get you in for a bone density scan and see what it is and I went for a bone density scan at this time I was probably I don't know, 21, 22. And my bone scan came back with osteoporosis in my spine and osteopenia in my hip. Oh, my and God. I was 21, 20, And my GP had said, you do not need to go and have a DEXA scan. There'll be nothing wrong with you. You're far too young. But, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't right. So what happened I, as a result of that then? So then I was put on to, at the time, a medication called Resedronate, which is a calcium thing. I'm, I'm sorry to doctors out there, they'll, they'll know, but I was put on... This, but the thing is, and it's still slightly the case, there's not a lot of research or science 
um, research into premenopausal girls or women that have osteoporosis and there's quite a few so it's all that it's all um all the research is on postmenopausal or menopausal menopausal women mm. and of course I was in my 20s I wasn't going through the menopause or perimenopause but I you know I I basically have the bones of a older person and is there any way to fix that or is that it well this was the thing so there was lots of stuff I could do and I I would go back every I think it was every couple of years to go get a bone density scan and I'd have to go to the um the doc- I'd have to go to the hospital every year as well and get weighed and do your bloods and stuff like that and basically it it didn't get worse it got a little bit better but it stayed the same um and I carried on having fractures so I had I think in total about seven fractures and a break ranging from like my foot which I completely broke um I've done I've done I broke my foot a few times at fractures and a full break my heel bone my tibia a few times um, and my sacrum, which was probably the most painful fracture. And that was a very tiny fracture, but it was enough to put me out for a long time. Um, And so, and for me, every time I got some sort of pain, for me, it was just like, I fractured something and and sort of like eight out of 10 I had. That's what I did. I just fractured something and I'd get an MRI scan. It'd be like, yeah. You know, that's anything between six to 12 weeks out. And then it takes you weeks and weeks to get back. So it was just devastating. It would always be in a build up to a big race. I was working towards. Um, And so I didn't have any periods for eight years. I couldn't get them back despite regaining weight. And I think for me, a lot of it was to do with stress as well. That can be a big indicator. Um, I was always you know, running a lot. I've always ran a lot, but I def I put the weight on um, and they didn't come back. Eventually they came back actually, probably when I was in some of the highest training volumes I was doing, but I'd started working with Rini McGregor as well, um, who was brilliant, uh, registered dietitian. She really helped me to work around the food I was eating around my training. So I was still in this mindset of like, um, you know, I, I still needed to eat just three meals and that was it. Um, but I, I wasn't fueling around the sessions. And when I was, it was not very good quality food. I was obsessed with sugar. And that was the thing that was weird. So when I was a kid, I, I was one of these kids that my mum always says to me, it was weird, I didn't remember, but if you if I got sweets at a party or, or something, given sweets, I didn't want them. And mum would put them in a jar and say, well, you can have them if you want. I'd never touch them. I just wanted um, like savoury food or jam on toast or something that's all I'd have I didn't like sweets and then it was weird it was when I started training clearly because I wasn't fueling properly as well I just Mm. craved sugar the whole time and um so I would finish a training session and I would just go into the nearest cafe and buy the biggest piece of cake (laughs) and sugary latte or something and that's what I sort of lived on but it wasn't very nutritious or good for me Um, and then I'd have nothing for the rest of the day because obviously I'd done if you had cake and it's really bad which clearly it's not um so I had to undo a lot of bad habits I'd got into and really helped me with that um and then the biggest game changer for me and I and it's been over the last couple of years is um strength training something I didn't do when I was an athlete well I I would say I did it at the time but I didn't I mean going into the gym and doing weird exercises I didn't know I was doing occasionally without any program and they were light weights high repetitions which is not the way to go um I didn't know what I was doing and now I've been doing a proper strength program now for just over two years, two and a half years. And I had my bone DEXA scan 
last year. Mm. Um, or no, sorry, this year. And it came back. This is remarkable. I will not, I will attribute this to lots of things, but I will say that the strength work has made a big difference. Um, it's my hip is now in the normal range and my back is now into osteopenia, which is, I'm 43. It's almost impossible. I don't, I, I couldn't believe it. What does it's, osteopenia mean? It means that your, um, your bone density is um, a little bit below what it should be at your age, but, but that's it. It's not osteoporosis where it's basically brittle bones where you're far more susceptible to stress fractures and it's very hard to so like my t-score for my back was minus 2.6 or 2.7 and now it's minus one point something which is amazing difference so to do that um touch wood and i haven't had a stress fracture for well the last one i had was about two and a half years ago that's when i made the change but it was i think it was mainly because i actually slipped and I was wearing bad shoes. It was in the World Mountain Champs. And I think that was mainly the reason, not because of any other issue. So I haven't had an actual stress fracture or injury for probably six years, which I was having them every year. Yeah. So it's been an amazing thing. And I've, I've, uh, I've reduced my running volume as much less than I used to run. You know, I used to be running about 100 mile a week all the time. I don't run near that now. I used to train twice a day, running twice a day. I don't do that now. I do it one day a week because I have to coach a client. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time I'm in the gym, uh, strength work, or I'm just lying on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I mean, it sounds because you were talking about pork pies earlier. It does sound like your relationship with food has improved. Yeah, I mean, that's the sad thing, I think. Really, It's what I felt really sad about is that my relationship food with food when I was growing up as well was really good. I mean, I was brought up on mm. a great wholesome diet. I was brought up on a game farm. We had wild meat. We had vegetables that my mum grew. Like dad would just go out and pull a swede out of the ground and we'd eat that with a pen knife. And, <laughs> you know, I had a real healthy village because I was out all the time. I was in the fresh air. Like we, I ate a lot of food, but it was all good. You know, like stews and dumplings, spaghetti, things like that, you know? And then... I that was the thing I, I hated I hated what happened I really hate it I hate the fact that I'd walk past a bakery and I'd be dribbling literally dribbling I'm not joking because I really wanted that donut I really wanted that pie but I just stopped myself I mean I there's so many things that I look back on and I I know that I know other people who are in that situation now so I know how they feel, but it's really hard to break out of it. But, you know, like going to the coffee shop, I'd go to Starbucks and I'd, as it was like, because I wanted to go, but I would order a black coffee with nothing in it because I knew that that was the least calorific, even though I didn't want it. Mm. All I wanted was like the hot chocolate or a latte, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I made a real conscious decision when I changed, I got out of it. I can't even remember exactly how I got out of it is I actually went. I try, this is like, I'm not saying this is the right way to go because it, it isn't for most people, but I tried to do the complete opposite. So I would go and order, I'd get the thing which was probably the most calorific. I know there'd be loads of people saying that's impossible, I couldn't do that, but I, I had to do it. I mean, I know I'd go to restaurants and I'd look at the menu mm. and I'd know what I'd want on that menu, which would be, I don't know, four cheese pizza or something but I would pick the thing on there, which I knew had the least calories, but it just sounded horrible. You know, like, I don't know, something just really low, like, I don't know, some fish with a salad on the side or something. I'm yeah. not saying that's wrong, but I just, I would, 
it was just a horrible existence. And then I just, and I wouldn't go out in the end because it was too stressful. And so I had to change that. I had to change it because I was miserable. So really where miserable. were you, um, like in your running career, where, where were you at that point when things tipped into the positive in terms of your food? It's really hard to say, actually. I mean, because I would always, I will say that for a long time, up until really probably four or five years ago, probably I was always thinking about what I was eating. Mm. Um, I mean, I wasn't bad at all because I wasn't, but I would be thinking, oh, I can't have that, um, which I think is, is still, it is still an, an issue. I think um, it's hard, isn't it? Because I'm not saying you should go out and just eat crap food all the time because that's not what I'm saying, but I think you should just be happy with, um, I hate, I don't hate it, but everyone says use intuitive eating now, but mm. it should be sort of like, oh, and breakfast, oh, I fancy toast this morning for breakfast, I'll have toast. Not like, I really fancy toast, but I'm not going to have that because I think that's more calorific, so I'm going to have one Weetabix. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's about um, being happy. It's like tonight, I'm going, we're, we're going to the the beer brewery near us and I'm going to have a pint and then we're going to get a pizza on the way home. I would never have done that before. That would have freaked me out. Absolutely freaked me out. But that's just completely normal now. That's what we do. And when we cook it, we'll have dinner and we'll have pudding. You know, that's just completely normal. And yeah. if I go out later this afternoon and go out with a friend later, then we'll, I'll have a piece of cake when we go out. Whereas before that, I just couldn't do it. And, 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 and it's exhausting. I think anyone yeah. that'd be listening to this who's had an eating issue, it's hard, eating disorder, disordered eating, anorexia, bulimia, all of that. It, it's just, it's just exhausting. That's what it is. That's what I'll say. It's just exhausting. It's not fun. No, no, because it's, <clears throat> I guess it's that, it's massive control that you're imposing on yourself, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And I think that a lot of people say like, you never really get over it, but I genuinely can say, mm. I do think I have got over it. I definitely have because I do eat what I want. Um, you know, there's days I never, the one thing I would say is I never weigh myself. I wouldn't get scales. I think that's really, you don't, why? Why do you need to? Just take, you know, it's if my trousers, if my trousers feel a little bit tight or, you know, I'm not feeling, then I'll be like, oh, perhaps I just won't have that extra bit of pudding later tonight. You know, stuff like that. Just how normal people are, you know? Like most normal people are like that, aren't they? But it's when you're just like, actually, my trousers need to be really loose. I need to have, you know, when you're doing stuff like that constantly comparing yourself to people on Instagram which again is a you know I didn't have that when I was when I was in the depths of everything god knows what I'd have been like then mm. you know I just was comparing myself to myself or you know people I lined up against um that's what it was about but now it's worth, way worse for people I think because you see it, it's in your face the whole time and um, not only how they look, but all the training sessions they're doing and, you know, the races they're doing, the places people are going. It's just a constant comparison, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So when you were training, you know, as a GB athlete, <clears throat> um, uh, which must have been incredible, but w- did you did you find yourself reflected in other women? Could you see the, the, the control that you were imposing on yourself? Could you see other women doing the same sort of sort of thing with their food? Um, probably not in your, not like in your face, but like, so when we did some training camps or go away to races, it's very, it is very much like you're checking out what other people are eating. But I wonder sometimes if it, sometimes it can go the other way. Like people will load their plates up and stuff and you're like, Ooh, how is she so thin? You mm-hmm. know, when she's eating that or, you know, you do keep it, you do sort of watch and, and keep an eye, but 
it's it's a really it's a re again it's a really another stressful situation to be in isn't it you're with other athletes that you're competing against who you're comparing yourself against you know I, I remember the Commonwealth Games you know in Delhi and us sitting sort of around the pool afterwards and I just felt like massive and I wasn't but it's just you know the other thing is you're racing in crop top and knickers and stuff it's just it, it, it everything's set up for you to feel a bit insignificant you know mm. and if you have got an issue um then it's even worse you know you're being paraded around wearing not very much it's, it's it is quite stressful it's different if you're naturally really small person a lot of the girls who race are naturally tiny you know you compare yourself compare yourself to the Ethiopian and Kenyan girls and they're just tiny that's just their makeup that's their genetics and um you know I would line up against some of them and think god I'm an absolute lump and you know of course I wasn't and actually does it what does it matter anyway if you're running good well good times you know if you're still you know doing well does it really really matter so and did it matter I mean did it affect how you look back at that time did you did you not enjoy it as much as you perhaps would have done otherwise um I don't know about that but I definitely would think about it like going into a race like oh god I need to lose weight because I'm going to be looking I'm going to wearing like crop top and knickers and stuff I need to I definitely need to you know think about that so yeah that it would be on my mind um you know, and there's the whole thing of like the lighter you are, the faster you are. I mean, that was, I luckily, I didn't really have that from, not really from my coaching group, but I definitely know other people did. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it is definitely, it is definitely something that was on my mind all the time. So then you, you moved somehow from doing that sort of racing into ultra running, yeah. which I think, there is something to be said, perhaps. I'm not sure how true this is, but I, I, it feels like to me that there's something to be said about ultra running and a very healthy attitude to food and fuel, generally speaking, because the food tends to be more real food rather than sort of synthetic, um, apart from anything else. But every time I speak to an ultra runner, everyone just talks about food, that the, the kind of the joy of it, the kind of, you know, yeah um, and and eating real things like pork pies or flapjacks or or, or whatever i think the um, difference main difference is with ultra especially like if you're running 100 miles if you don't eat you're not going to finish so <laughs> that's the big thing i mean with a marathon you can get away with having some gels but i don't think i think when it comes to actually down to racing i used to take loads of gels when i was racing because that's different on the race day um but in ultras, yeah, you definitely have to eat. Uh, I'm not saying there's no issues in ultra. I'm, I'm sure there is. There definitely is. Mm. Um, but also remember, you're not going to be probably wearing an ultra and a crop top and knickers either. You're going to be wearing lots of clothes and a backpack probably. It's not so, it doesn't really matter. And actually some of our best role models in ultras as well are, I would say, stronger looking women. You know, that's the sort of thing when you were, when I was a roadrunner back in the day, if someone said you're looking strong, oh, you knew, you look well I say I need to lose weight if someone says you look strong you look healthy you look well that's just like oh you want someone to say oh you look tired or you look gaunt and you think oh training is going to be well but of course that's ridiculous that's not a good thing but that's the rationale at the time whereas with ultras it's not like that it's more like 
you know, wow, she looks really strong. That's a good thing. And, yeah. and you should look strong. And, um, and actually, I think also with ultras, you're probably better off going in holding a little bit of weight because by the end of it, you probably have lost it anyway. But yeah. it's better to have that reserve. But yeah, so ultras, I'd always... I mean, the other thing as well, when I was doing road running, so in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, well, 2012, I was still running competitive marathons. Ultra running was for weird people with beards and or who, <laughs> like, pushed prams or stuff like that, you know? That sounds awful, it was, but ultra running was, like, a bit of a dirty word. <laughs> Whereas now, ultra running has become, you know, ultra and trail running, and that's the other thing, trail running, you know, there wasn't trail running, it was cross-country. Like, it's mm. a new word, it's the same sort of, you know... Same sort of thing. But um, so ultra running is was something that I'd always thought maybe I'd be quite good at because I knew I was good at running. I could run a long way. That was my good thing about me, my USP, mm. is I could run a long way at quite a fast pace. Whereas you'd ask me to run really fast. So I couldn't, I never was really, really fast over 5K. I mean, I, my PB was like 16, 40 or something, but I never got any faster than that. And the same with 10Ks and things. But I could my comparison in my marathon was I could run quite a long way quite fast. So I thought, you know, maybe I could move that on. And then that's when I decided um, after Houston in 2012, where I ran the same time again from 2007 and I just was totally disillusioned with the whole thing. I'd had enough. Yeah. But I decided to um, go and do a race abroad, a multi-day uh, stage race in Nepal. And then from there I entered Comrades, which was, you know, for me, it was like, well, that's the biggest road ultra I know in the world. Um, so I'll do that. And then I did that and I just fell in love. I just fell in love with it. Why? It was really what was hard. so good about it? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, anyone who's done Comrades, the whole, um, the whole, the race itself is amazing. It, it's like, it's like London Marathon here in South Africa, but even bigger so everyone in South Africa, it, they always ask you if you've done Comrades because it's this big, amazing race. And um, everyone comes out on the streets. The start is amazing. The cockerel crowing and you put you run point to point. So it's either up year, up year or down year. Um, it's just this. It's just iconic. There's so many things about it. And, you know, it's 90 kilometers of road and there's people all the way, you know, like having barbecues, dancing, schools are out. You know, you 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 run through some, you know amazing parts of the country and yeah it's just an iconic race so for that to be my first ultra was pretty special um it was really hard yeah it was really hot year I think it was the hottest year they'd had and um and it was the uphill year so I picked all the worst bits to do really um (laughs) but I loved it yeah I loved it and I think from then you sort of once you do stuff like that the more you do the further you go the harder it is you and you do it you think oh what 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 more could I do so what more could you do what 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 happened after that did you Um, no actually I do know I do know one thing I do know that you won the Cotswold Way 100 miler yeah so (laughs) I did my first 100 and this was just I don't know it just happened to be so it was my 40th birthday on the 23rd of September three years ago, whatever day that was. Um, and it happened to be the race on that day, the Cotswold 100. And because it finishes in Bath, I'd done the Cotswold relay, which is a relay of the whole route. So it's basically just, I think it's about 104, 105 miles, the Cotswold 100. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd done it with my tea, my running club where it's split up into 10, 
I think, legs. So I, I knew quite a lot of the course. I knew that it finished in Bath. It was on my 40th birthday, so I thought, why not? Let's do it. And I'd done um, 100K, I think was the furthest I'd run before in a race. So I thought, let's do it. So I did it. And it was like one of the best races I've ever done, purely because it actually all went to plan. Um, I mean, don't don't get me wrong, I had some real bad patches, worst hallucinations, not as bad as UTMB, but pretty bad. Um, were you, really were you travelling the whole time? Did you did you stop? Yeah, no, I, I did. I, I just stopped at the A stations to fuel. Um, I think the most I stopped at was maybe 10 minutes at one, where I was quite bad. I was like 70 miles in and they had to just stuff every bit of food into me. And I, God, I, I ate so many calories in that 10 minutes. Uh, I went in like delirious and then came out like a new woman. Um, <laughs> and then, um, um, yeah, I just loved it. And then I, I, I finished at like 8am and I got the course record and I finished at 8am in, in Bath outside the Abbey, which is like quite a big bit in Bath, you know, like there's um, normally loads of people around, but it was just, like 8am on a Sunday and I was like running in going, ah, and there was like, a couple of people there and a dog <laughs> and, and, and a deck chair for me to sit in. So I That's got like quite in. similar to the London Marathon then. Many, <laughs> Nothing many... like the London Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like it, but I just, yeah, it was such a great, great thing. I ate a lot of pork pies in that actually. Um, <laughs> but it was brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And then I just, yeah, I was like, wow, I never thought I'd do a hundred mile. I thought that was for complete crackpots. And it is. And, um, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it was great and the course was fantastic because the Cotswold Way is it's really lumpy as well but it's beautiful you go through the most co- you know Cotswold villages it's so pretty um so that was uh three years ago and then from there I went on to do the UTMB which I did in 2018. Yes I read about that that didn't sound quite so good what well, happened? Just, well that's when I fractured my foot leading into it so it was not ideal preparation <laughs> and I should shouldn't have really been able to have run it but a miracle happened and I and I did so I I'd literally just been running 10 days before but I'd been in the Alps for a month before I'd driven out there with my dog and friends and I'd stayed in a hut on the course so I'd been able to hike a lot of it I was turbo training outside the hut looking up at the mountains trying to keep fit and then I was able to run I started running like 10 days before and then I did it I mean it's not ideal I wouldn't ever say that to anyone but I was really fit going into it um but yeah, I, I suffered badly with my stomach and um, I don't know why, because I, it was far too early, I think, for it to be genuine. I mean, in, in ultras, for me, I will always get stomach issues. I still haven't sorted my nutrition out for ultras. It's very hard. Um, but for this, about 20 miles in, I started having problems. I was just crapping the whole time. Mm. And, then, and then I started vomiting. And, um, and as I said, it's a, it's an eating game, especially a hundred miles in the mountains. You've got to eat all the time. And I just, I just couldn't get it in. I just couldn't get the food in. It was just coming out of every hole. And, um, (laughs) no, it just sounds really upsetting. (laughs) Oh, it was awful. And I just, I just, yeah, I I keep, I I think if anyone wants to, and I I haven't listened to it again, I should on marathon talk where I'm a co-host, I, they interviewed me afterwards and. And it was like I'd been through some horrific ordeal when I was talking about it because I felt I felt properly, you know, like affected by it because I'd been so awful. Like when I got to Champagne Lac, which is like a hundred k, I remember going in that I that's where I ended up staying there for about an hour in that um, tent. Being I was wrapped in a full blanket, and the medics gave me anti um, nausea tablets because I just couldn't. I was determined I wanted to carry on. 
but I just needed to rest. I couldn't see how I would carry on because I literally had no energy in me. And you know, you've got, you've got another 60 K to go of mountains, which is hours. I just couldn't see how I was going to do it. I just couldn't, but that's where it's all in the mind. I had to break it up into like 5k segments, 10k segments. I knew that the next checkpoint I would see my parents and my dog and that kept me going. And then once I got there, I thought, well, I need to, I could try to go to the next checkpoint. And then, you know, I was totally delirious. I mean, I, I thought I was in last place, which I wasn't, but, but then when I did it, when I finished it, oh my God, I finished it. I couldn't believe I'd finished it. I properly felt proud of myself, like really proud of myself. Cause I just thought I have no idea how I did that being that ill. Yeah. And in that time, I just can't, don't know how I did it. But and I was, yeah, bad. Did it not make you just want to stop doing it forever? No, I mean, I have to say it did scar me for a bit. The thought of doing it the following year was just out of the question. Um, but no, but I have to say, but that is a total thing in my head now. I have got this little memory in my head now. So every time if anything's really tough or, you know, I think I can't do it, it's like, well, hang on a minute. I ran UTMB feeling awful imagine having a stomach bug where you're being sick and crapping all the time and you can't eat anything but you're lying in bed but then someone says to you you have to go and run 160k in the mountains <laughs> in all sorts of weather and you you're not allowed to sleep you'd be like um excuse me that's just impossible but I did it and so I just think well if I did it and I didn't die my foot didn't break which was the annoying thing all I kept thinking was like that was my only get out clause if my foot really hurt again and it didn't so I was like, if it hurts, then I have to stop. That's obvious. That's silly. But it didn't. It didn't. My toenails, my toenails fell off, but that was it. Really? And, um, and I got there at the finish and I just couldn't believe it. So that's the thing in my head now. I, you know, I've done that. I can do it. I can do anything really. So what so, were your plans? So after you finished that, what did you then decide to go on to do? Um, that's when I decided to... What did I decide to do? Oh, I, that's when I was like, I'm going in the gym and I'm going to get strong. And that's when I totally changed that. Um, and, and to be honest, I was supposed to do TDS this year. Yeah. Um, and then obviously that's got, um, can't, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, um, I, so after UTMB, I basically went back and, um, did some road running again and I went back to do some marathons and last year I did, and it was mainly through my work with A6 Frontrunners that I'd, um, we have a lot of, so we had Paris, Barcelona, uh, Manchester Marathon, which we sponsor. Mm. And I ended up sort of going around doing all of those with some of my teammates. Um, and they were all very close together and actually running really well. So I went to Barcelona as my first one and ran 248. Then I went to Manchester two weeks later I think it was and ran 246 nice. and then I did went to Paris and I paced someone so I went a bit slower and then the week after I went to London and I ran 245 <gasps> and so I was like wow that's not bad considering I'm not young and I haven't really been concentrating on marathons and that gave me a real confidence boost and the plan was this year was to go and do Manchester Marathon and try and see if I could get anywhere close to um, 240 or just under but obviously it didn't happen yeah. So that's where I am again now. You know, this year's been a funny one, and um, it's, how, it's how, not. Tell been me about quite the front runners. How did how did that come about? How did you join them? Well, I was uh, I was lucky enough to be sponsored by Asics for. Well, I was actually a Sokani. I was sponsored by Sokani um, in uh, my early career, 
And then, um, which I was lucky to have a, a shoe sponsor. And then I left Socony and actually I, just by chance, it was weird. I ended up being asked to be part of a amazing um, challenge called Beat the Sun, where there was groups of athletes, um, like pro athletes, um, pro trail mountain runners, and then athletes from different uh, groups and um, to do a UTMB, so to run Mont Blanc uh, on the longest day of the year before the sunset. It was oh, a great nice. challenge and ASICs were doing this. And, um, and actually a friend of mine contacted me who uh, works in sort of PR and said, um, they know I'd left Socony and they said, look, this is really last minute. Uh, in fact, I was in Mallorca training. This is really last minute. I was training for comrades, I think. Um, but they've had a dropout in the team, Tim Don, who's a great triathlete, British GB triathlete. He's dropped out because he's, I think his daughter's or something is there any chance do you fancy doing it? And I was like, what? I've never run in the mountain, you know, not, not like that. And um, so I went out there and I did it, had the greatest time and I, I had to do it in ASICs and stuff. And then after that, they contacted me and said, we'd love to sponsor you. So I was like, wow. So from that, I got the sort of ASICs gig. I can't even remember what year that would have been. I think it was 2013. And so I, I that's where my relationship with ASICs began. And then I um, eventually, this job came up with um, ASICS Frontrunners. I didn't really know anything about them. I was part of the pro team for them. And then um, the manager left and they asked me if I would consider taking it over. And I'd just been made redundant from England Athletics, actually, because I work for England Athletics. And um, so I, I got the job as an ASICS Frontrunner. So I went in to do that. And um, I've been doing that now for maybe just over three years. And uh, yeah, it's a great project to be involved with. Uh, the front runners in my team are just, it's really changed for me. It's great because I'm not running at that level anymore, but they just inspire me so much, all of them, because they're all so motivated. They do the craziest things, you know, <laughs> they do crazy races I would never have done. And um, yeah, it was just, it was just fantastic. And and I, and I, I just love hanging out with them and, and ASICs, um are a great company to be with as well and they've been very supportive of me over the years so yeah the front runners the front runner if you don't think about them head to the website or go onto my instagram and you'll see a link to them but yeah we're just a running community who just spread our love of running and um i think they do that really well and you um you so you've also been doing some virtual races have you over lockdown because i i did notice that you did the virtual london marathon (laughs) god yeah (laughs) How was on, that? Oh, it's just awful. The day was awful, wasn't it? It was, was like the pretty worst. bad. <laughs> if you if you hadn't have had to do a marathon that day, you could have done any day. There's no way I'd have even got out of bed that day. I think we had a month's <laughs> rain that day. Um, yeah. Where did you Where did you do yours? I was really stupid. I should have done it on a road loop, but I ended up doing it on the towpath trail. So did I. It was. <laughs> I probably saw you then. It was just awful, wasn't it? I the mean, puddles. it wasn't. Yeah, puddles. They were like. <laughs> it was like oh awful oh well, the um, thing I, is because I'd, I'd use that towpath as um well everyone uses it as a training course. don't they and um, yeah so I and I'd run it when I when I was training for the London back in January February I'd gone up it and I'd really done my 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 Achilles in because it had rained on that day and I'd been kind of you know trying to circumnavigate all the puddles and I'd kind of yeah. turned my ankle um so this time when I set off and I I just launched myself on it I saw a chap go past me and he just plowed through (laughs) the middle of all the puddles and I just thought I think that's the sensible way to go yeah that's what I did (laughs) yeah but it but it was just so wet wasn't it and I had gravel all you know in my socks and (laughs) 
Um, I was so cold. It was just awful. And poor Pete, my partner, was on a bike and he had about 13 layers on and he's a big guy and he was freezing cold as well. It was just, yeah. Yeah, we've done done quite a few virtual stuff. I've got another virtual Ekaden relay coming up as well. Um, We did a 5k time trial me and pete we've done that a few times as part of our 5k training block which we decided to do at the beginning of lockdown um and we had the world half marathon um in um uh, virtual racing as well mm-hmm. um, so there's been lots of stuff i mean with a6 we have lots of things to keep them busy they're never you know twiddling their thumbs <laughs> <laughs> of course not. So, I mean, I guess you must have had loads of races cancelled this year. Are, they, are things kind of creeping up back for next year? Is there, there stuff that you've signed up for? Not really. I mean, I think the problem that everyone's going to have is we're all going to have thousands of races in September and October, it looks like, because <laughs> they've all been rescheduled, haven't they, to them? I think the spring is still going to be quite quiet, um, if I'm honest. I think the way to go is going to be sort of trial races. I mean, I have raced, I raced last week on the roads, which is the first time. And that was an interesting experience. Um, I talked about that actually in marathon talk this week because mm. it was um, staggered starts and it's not for everyone that, um, and it's also, yeah, it's just, it's just weird. Um, and then trail races. So I've got a trail race in next month. I had one, I've had, I've unfortunately had a lot of races in Wales, which have been cancelled. Um, but yeah, next year, I don't know who knows. I'd like to go out and do back, go back and do a marathon on the roads, but I just don't know where that's going to be because there doesn't seem to be anywhere, any, any in spring. Yeah. I've only seen, I've only seen quite small races. Small. Yeah. Start up. And there's been a couple in, in Bath, but, um, yeah, I think it's that, uh, you, you feel sort of highlighted in some way if, with the staggered starts, if, if you're particularly if you're not, not fast well I'm sure you, you probably have it if you are fast but if, mm. if they're kind of releasing you in batches of five people it, it it can make you feel quite kind of noticed so it's uh... I think um for me I was actually right in the middle pack to start which was quite good so it meant I could sort of go past people a couple of guys went past me but I think if you're in the first pack and you're quite fast you can have a very lonely race yeah um so I think it's really interesting and I actually asked on marathon talk this week for any race directors to maybe get in contact to see how they're doing it and the other problem which I think is definitely which was highlighted in this race is not their fault is unless you've got chip time start and finish it can really mess up your results so when we got the results on Sunday I was quite a way down the field where I knew roughly where I'd come mm. and I I didn't I knew that I hadn't come that far down the field if you know what I mean I didn't want to be yeah. was like, I don't think that's right and there's other people that just didn't seem right and I think because um we've been given wave like numbers so wave one to 30 yeah. you're going every two minutes it does become quite confusing and if you're not in the right wave that's where it all went wrong um so it's it's a lot of work for the race directors not only do they have to tick all the covid safety boxes but they also have to make sure the timing's right and because you'll get a few you will get people who are pissed off and i think some a note for runners just be a bit you know remember that because it's quite a lot of work for them to do and they were really yeah. good the race i did they did the heat sent you know, the temperature sensor and stuff as well but you know it's all extra expense isn't it if you've got to do chip timing for a little race it's a big thing yeah yeah absolutely um and i wanted to talk to you a bit about your podcast as well because it's it's awesome it's such a great podcast and you work with martin yelling don't you yeah so me and Lovely. martin are the main co-hosts and we obviously have tom williams and tony audenshaw from emmerdale um who's good laugh um 
<laughs> quite often doesn't know what we're talking about half the time. It's quite funny, <laughs> the pair of us. We start talking about Great British Bake Off, which we did this week. We're like, oh no, it's a running show. Hang on a minute. Um, no, no, no. We should always talk about Bake Off. <laughs> ba- bake Off, um, bird watching and all sorts of weird stuff we were talking about the other day. Dogs. When I'm hosting with my other friend, Angie, occasionally we get into dogs. So, um, but yeah, Marathon Talk, we've been going for, oh God, over 10 years. How did that set up? How do you, how did you start that? Well, I only came in as a proper co-host a few years ago, but I'd been on the show and I've known Martin and Liz obviously quite a long time because Liz was a great athlete herself and Martin. Mm. Um, and I think I just, I got involved. I don't know. I think they interviewed me and just thought, oh, she doesn't shut up. So maybe <laughs> we should get one as a co-host. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And so I, I did it a few times and had good feedback. People liked listening to me for some reason, uh, mainly because of probably the background noises I used to have of people like the dog barking or Pete, my partner, doing weird stuff in the background. I think people thought it was funny. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been, I've been with the team now, yeah, for a few years and I, and I love it. It's there is a great community to be part of just not only the people who work behind the scene that like we have editors who work, f- you know, for nothing behind the scene and um, Angie, who does all the social and stuff. And, and then it's just also the marathon talk listeners. They are genuinely the best bunch of people and they're really loyal. We have like marathon talk camp every year. Now we've been doing that for a few years and it's amazing how many people turn up. And it's the same people Like we even have some people coming from America Wow, and um, you know we do a race, and it's really laid back. You know, there's nothing elitist about marathon talk. It's about every person. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you do, you're a runner. So, um, yeah, it's a great thing to be part of. And um, you know, we I can't believe we've been interviewing people now. I think we're on episode five hundred and sixty something. It's like wow. we're going to run out of people to talk to now. Nah, but you never run out of people to talk to about running, though, do you? Not really. No, you know, you don't like we talk about and we've got people on about who've done crazy stuff. It's not only just running, you know, just other stuff. But yeah, it is. I do wonder when what's going to happen when we, we are getting a little bit like, oh, who should we interview this week? <laughs> but especially over lockdown when there hasn't been racing. Like normally we interview yeah. people who've done races and stuff, but it's been a bit quieter. So that's the thing. But then I remember taking a magazine and, um, and everyone's saying to me, well, all non-runners saying to me, how can you possibly make a magazine or have a brand that's about running? What can you possibly find to talk about running every month? And I was like, oh, I have... You can reinvent the wheel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's things coming out all the time. And um, I think people just like reading about other people, don't they? They're nosy. Um, That's the thing with Marathon Talk. I think people probably like, not only do they like the interviews, but I think they like the intro where we talk about what maybe we've been doing in the week or we just go off and uh, go off about something. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a great thing to be part of. Are you still working as a sports therapist as well? No, I stopped that. I can't. I've, I do so like, so I work for ASICs as ASICs front runner manager. I also work for ASICs studio, which is another, which is an app, which is um, uh, another thing I do. So I'm a coach on there. Um, I also have um, online coaching myself. So I do coach a few people. I don't coach many people now because again, I like to do the best job I can. And I feel when you coach lots of people, it's, you spread yourself a bit thin. Mm-hmm. So I, I coach a few people um, online, but um, I also, me and my partner Pete, who is a strength coach and power lifter, <laughs> strange combination we are, um, <laughs> we have a, um, a website where we actually offer concurrent training. So this is the big thing for us. It's about strength and running, which is really important. 
Um, so we offer programs online there and we've also written quite a few ebooks as well. So that's something that we look after as well. And then mm. obviously I've got the podcast um, that I do as well. So I feel like, and then I'm also training myself. So that's quite a lot. It's quite full on. It's like, I have got my finger in lots of pies, but that is good. It's just, it's up to me to manage my time. And sometimes I don't manage it very well. Yeah, sure. So um, I was going to ask you a desert island question. Oh, right. They don't particularly have them on desert island discs. They should should have this question on desert island discs, Um, (laughs) which is um, if you were to just run one of your races over and over and over again, which one would it be? When you say over and over and over again, as in like, you if that's the have... only race you could do every year, you mean? Yes. I don't mean like constantly in some kind of awful version of hell. I don't mean that just over and over again. But yeah, if there was just one race that you had to do. God, that's really, that's really good, actually. And actually, because you made me talk about it today, it brought back a real smile. And I just loved Cotswold Way. I think I would probably... I would probably do Cotswold Way, but there's so many amazing ones. I mean, obviously, no, I mean, the other ones, but I do it anyway, is Nepal. I mean, Nepal is my favourite place on earth. Mm. And running in Mustang, I've done that twice now, and it's just been, but that's not so much a race. Well, it is a race, but it's it's a journey. Mm. So it would be that or probably Cotswold Way, just because it's really, yeah, I have such great memories about it, and it's really beautiful. So, yeah. Which direction, though? Cotswold Way into Bath or Cotswold Way out of Bath? Well, I've not done it out of Bath, so I'd have to do it into Bath, I think. There's always something good about running home or running to places. I quite often run to my mum's, normally because she's cooking a roast or something, Mm. and that has a pull, doesn't it? Running back home, that's a good that's a good thing to say to people if you want to if you're lacking in motivation get a train somewhere or something or bus and run home or run somewhere yeah it, I, I totally agree like my mm. training for the marathon meant that I was getting the train to Bristol and running back or the train to Bradford and Avon and running back depending on the length of the perfect yeah I think just lovely people don't think about doing that but yeah or just get someone to drop you off like if someone I know is driving somewhere just like oh drop me off there and you know it's it's yeah. also quite cool to discover new places like being in Froome now it's been so great discovering new trails and, and things I've got Longley on my doorstep which is fantastic mm-hmm. um but if you're feeling you're losing your running mojo go and run somewhere different or run back from somewhere or run to somewhere or run with a friend just yeah. any of that stuff really will perk you up oh yeah totally I, I made the end of the London Marathon I made it Great Pulteney Street so it's like the bath half yeah so you ran in <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I ran around an estate in Trowbridge that wasn't great oh yeah less less good mm, wasn't so good <laughs> rush by name and rush by nature indeed i loved my chat with holly even though it feels like ages ago now in a pre-lockdown dream world don't forget to let me know who you'd like me to speak to in future episodes and don't forget to go to asics.tv forward slash shoes to find out exactly what shoes you should be running in this episode was recorded over zoom the editor and composer was david newman and my mic is the podcast pro from sontronics Please hit like and subscribe. That way you won't miss the next episode. Did you know you can become a member of Women's Running? Just go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk and enter WRPOD at the checkout to get your exclusive 35% discount off Women's Running membership. You'll get the mag, free access to digital back issues 
a free month's subscription to Move GB Move at Home, discounts on merchandise and mags, and loads more. Plus, we're going to be adding more benefits during the year, so this is literally just the start of it. Come and join Women's Running. We'd love to have you with us. Happy running. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.